This is a Culture Inject production. All right, welcome back to Part of Us. Follow us on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook at Invoke Praise and on Twitter at Part of Us Fancast. Comments or questions, let us hear it. Email them to us at partofusev at gmail.com. Please review and rate our podcast. Now, let's get into the episode. Okay, we're getting into what's new, what's trending. We're catching up, and it looks like we're actually trending. We had our most popular episode this season because of a letter written by our guest. We have a guest host on this episode, Mr. DT. Hello. Hello, DT. Hey, folks. How y'all doing? Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for being on. So before we really get into the situation at hand, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, Anything that you feel comfortable with, and especially how that, you know, pertains to Invoke. Like, what's your history with Invoke? When were you introduced to them? Uh, Have you ever worked with them? You know, what's going on? Well, name is DT, and uh, I'm a a longtime Invoke fan, obviously, a little bit leaning toward the earlier years. Um, my introduction to Invoke was <laughs> when they first came out, um, and that's the train I rode. So I was a diehard Invoke fan, started at the beginning with the Born to Sing album, and I was watched everything, listened to everything, all the way up until about the time Masterpiece came out, and I was just did not, everything changed for me, all of which we've discussed. So I will concede that my post-masterpiece album knowledge of In Vogue is limited because I I just I was so into the original four. So I will take all the hits that come with that. But um, I feel like I'm pretty well versed on, you know, In Vogue up to that point. And I've kept track of the politics and the things that have happened with the ladies you know, through social media and all these other ways you can keep abreast of things. And so I think I've tried to keep informed with the girls and the ladies since then. Um, now, as far as my personal background, uh, yes, I do have some, I'd say, limited uh, expertise or experience in the entertainment field. I'm an attorney by profession. I moved to California in 1999. I'm from Michigan. Uh, I actually awesome. started working at a entertainment litigation firm uh, when I was a young up-and-coming associate and I pretty much worked for a law firm that defended a lot of the big labels I won't mention any of their names but uh, so I was in the I was literally reviewing bad contracts that went south where artists were suing to get their rights more money royalties credit for songs, publishing, et cetera, you name it. So I was on the label side defending. So that was really my lens on how record deals go south and how record deals can be saved. And so that's kind of how I've always looked at In Vogue and a lot of these other groups, especially in Black music, they just couldn't hold it together because of this crazy legal world that they have to navigate. And so um, anyway, but that, that was the first few years of my practice by the mid 2000s. I was what you would call a starving entertainment lawyer, just like you can have a starving artist. You can have a starving entertainment lawyer because I just moved to another firm where we did more traditional litigation. And that's where I've been ever since. So I still do a little bit of work for friends who want, you know, you know, hey, show me that. Show me. Tell me this record deal. How does it look? 
What should I negotiate? You know, I do a little bit on the side, but not an active entertainment practice now. So that's a little bit about me. I live in Los Angeles and uh, I think that's about it. Okay. Okay. And I mean, that just goes to show the caliber of our listeners. We have, you know, the cream of the crop, the best of the best listening to part of us invoke fan cast. So we're very honored. Um, Now the letter you wrote, like I said, it, of course, you know, I only see it was, the YouTube. It was spicy. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, it was, and it was so spicy that like our viewership kind of jumped because um, I don't think we had hit over 400 views this season and really like it caught up to, and like, I just look at the, the YouTube numbers, which was I was trying to say, I don't look at Amazon and all the other uh, platforms that were on. So I don't know how we're doing there, but that we saw the, the, the increase. And so I saw also, I looked, I try not to look too much cause I don't want to ever um, make it seem like I'm influencing the views since I'm a part of the podcast. So I don't want to just keep clicking back and forth, but I look like, I think after we hit a hundred then 200, then about 400, just to see what the comments were. And um, so obviously you saw some of the responses. What did you think of the response to your letter? And is there anything that you wanted to uh, maybe rebut as far as what we had to say, most likely me, (laughs) in regards to your letter? You know, first of all, I should qualify. My letter was so wordy. I'm I'm just in awe how you all were able to sift through it and make make it digestible and organized to present because I know that letter was all over the place. So whoever <laughs> that was just brilliant there, that alone and how you guys processed it and organized it. I think that's what made it a good show. Not, not my ranting and my letter itself, but anyway, um, I thought that the comments and the feedback were just like they were before the episode, just maybe not as loud or not as thorough. So I, some of the, I'll, I'll respond to two points so I, we don't, you know, get buried into it again. Like I know it can, we can easily dive in. But the first issue was there seemed to be a lot of comments that were put off that I was quote unquote dissing Rona. And I can, I can see that perspective. Uh, I certainly think Rona is a wonderful talent. I think Rona is an, an awesome singer. I've watched a lot of her on YouTube individually. I followed her career individually, but my position kind of stands that she, she's not the original four. And what I mean by a fill-in to me, a fill-in is a person that steps into a group and they pretty much replace the already well-oiled machine person or group that's there. Now a new group member is someone that takes the group to my, in my opinion, to equal or higher heights. So for me, Rona has been a, a wonderful person that allows the Invogue train to continue on. 80% of their music, from what I've heard, I've never been to a show recently of Invogue, 80% of their music is the hits, and then they'll throw in a Rona song, they'll throw in a Rona written song, and they'll give Rona some shine. But that show is making money off of the, the album's the songs off the first two albums, maybe going up to a little bit into Masterpiece and then whatever current hit they have. So for me, just like Cindy Bird's song to me was a fill-in for the Supremes, just like to me, the singer who came into Rufus when Shaka left and went solo for an album or or a spot date or a tour, that's a fill-in. I also consider 
the reality that Rona is not a equity member of the group. So equity, a lot of folks are saying, you know, she's a part of the group now. She she deserves more than than the original because she's put in more time. That's true. You know, I have you know, some people own a house that they lived in for a year and then they rented it out for 30 years to one person. That person that's rented it out for 30 years doesn't own the home. That's okay. the way I look at in Vogue <laughs> in, in, a large, in a large large sense. That person is, is that, keeping that's the house. That's a good analogy. <laughs> they, may be, they may be doing some great, wonderful improvements to the home. They may Come have made on. that home theirs. But, but the title on that deed is not the renter's okay. uh, property. <laughs> so that's my okay. whole take. You got to go already. You got to go. That's but, but I mean, that applies to pretty much everybody with Cindy and Terry then, and that applies to the original members why they were there as well. Uh, uh-uh. Like I previously have stated, like with like say a band like Guns N' Roses, where you had everyone who started um, with Appetite for Destruction, so that Slash, uh, Axel, the drummer. Um, Izzy Stratlin, Duff McKagan, they all started equally, but Axel, he was the lead singer. He was the main writer. So he, they split up the Roy, uh, the royalties based on how much was written. So the drummer got the least, even though he was an original. So the whole kind of thing about equity, um, how, do, how do you feel when you consider that none of the girls, when they were at their peak, they didn't own the name. They didn't own really anything. They weren't the main songwriters. They weren't the main creators behind the group. So how does that apply to them? I think you make an excellent point. And in Vogue is, is, is a group owned initially by Tommy and Denny. And I guess you could say co-owned by the investors at the label that allowed them to have the production deal. The current owners of In Vogue, and I think it goes back, I'd have to check the records, but the current owners of In Vogue, if you go to check the U.S. Copyright Patent Office, is Cindy and Terry. That's who's listed as the owners. In Vogue Enterprises, now I believe it's called In Vogue Partnership, with the listed agent and owner being Cindy and Terry, respectively. There's no Tommy and Denny. There's no other entities. Now, maybe... There are some owners or people who are part of Cindy and Terry's respective companies, but they are listed as the two registered owner and agent of what the current company that owns the name in vogue. So when that happened, you're right. It did, that's not how it was back in 1989. That's not how it was back in 95. It probably isn't what it was in 2005, but they were the, folks generating the income and taking the act on tour, meaning meaning they had property, they had they had property and ownership of their touring. They did not own the name. So publishing record sales to this day, I don't know if Invoke has the current members of Invoke have, have recouped those things. But they as a touring act, they do own themselves. They can go on the road and tour and make money, which has been largely their income since the beginning not record sales. And I think that's what Cindy and Terry have resolved. And maybe that was their feeling of not fighting from the beginning. Okay, we didn't make money off of recording. Let's throw in the towel, but let's make this bank and, and tour, tour, take this sucker on the road. And that's how we will earn our living. And that's fine. But what exactly was the group's understanding about making money in 89, in 93, in 97? 
did Max and, and, and Don just want to be an act touring act and struggle on the road and, and do that for 30 years? Or did they want to do what most artists do, which is start to own their worth, own their property? Because many artists do that. So I, I'll stop right there. But you make a good point, Matan, that no one, none of the four owned the group initially. But I believe they all in their own ways tried to take ownership at various points of, of as much as the, the brand as they could. To play devil's advocate, I will say that it is very telling that Rona does not have ownership of the group um, legally, and she's been a member of the group for 15 years. That is very telling, but it just goes to show that at the end of the day, Cindy and Terry do call the shots. So in that regard, I can understand why some people who are fans of the OG members of the original lineup can sort of say that Rona is is not a real member because you know she she don't own a name you know so I can kind of understand that in regard for me um I my um me ch- me championing for Rona comes mm-hmm. from those who discredit her contributions to the name continuing on. You know, one, I mean, could Cindy and Terry um tour as a as a duo? Maybe, maybe not. Mm-hmm. However, there are a lot of things, and I, I do say this a lot on the show, there are a lot of things that Invoke has done as a trio that should be commended um in current in the current industry. Um, and I feel like because she's a part of the group that keeps the brand going. I don't know how the world will uh, react to just having a duo in Vogue on stage and there's not three part harmony. You know, yeah. what is, 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 is Terry going to do the eight count while Cindy sings and then they switch around? This ain't Nina Sky. You know, <laughs> it, it ain't that. So uh, granted, I, I wouldn't be, I've said it on the show before. I wouldn't be opposed to Terry and Cindy doing a duo as in Vogue, but that means the sound would have to kind of take a pivot, which I think is okay. Um, but there are just people who were just like, Rona is not, you know, she's not a member. And I'm like, but she's been in a group. She did a Lifetime movie. They did, uh, Coming to America. They have a whole album out, you know, like she, and she loves being a part. She loves in Vogue, even with the backlash, you know, even when they do interviews and they don't talk to her, you know, even when they do interviews and they, and they only talk to Cindy and Terry about old news and I'm like talk to this girl because she's here in your face you know I feel like she's always being slighted and 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 for a woman of her caliber whose entire career is her being slighted dark child Mickey Mouse Club like she's always getting a short end of the stick and so now what are you talking about she was slighted on the Mickey Mouse Club I, I just mean I just mean like but, she but she didn't have the career that the, that exactly, the Justins like and it, the Britneys and the Christinas it didn't turn out the same way for her so I feel like there's always like she's always getting the short end of the stick and now that she's a part of an entity that is embracing her because Cindy and Terry they love her you know and then there's a portion of the fan base who love her as well I just champion her because I feel like some of the backlash, some of the shade is not warranted. But I can understand in some regard why people are having a hard time digesting her membership. 
I, I've said it a hundred times. I think Rona is talented. I don't think anyone can ever say that Rona is not talented. Rona does not bring, you know, a great voice and she seems to be very pleasant. But I'm going to say this. Every group needs a Kelly Rowland. Every group needs some Michelle Williams. Every group needs somebody that is just going to do their part and not cause waves. And for me, whether it was Rona or whether it was Jane Doe down the street in that spot, it wouldn't matter. Like, I don't think Rona hasn't done anything that has, like DT said, they she hasn't furthered the group any more than where they already were at their peak. You know what I'm saying? So to me, yeah, she's... And they haven't either, though. I yeah, mean, that's when they a, were that's together the point. At, that, in 2012, they didn't further the group either. Or when they were together Vogue the has, In Vogue has peaked. In Vogue is a nostalgia act. They're never going to have a radio hit. They're never going to be where they were. Oh, the truth never, hurting me. They're never going to be, you know, beyond where they were at their prime. So to me, anyone can take that spot. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like I made this, I've made this equation previously. Like to me, it's like Johnny Gill and New Edition. When Johnny Gill came in and he took over for Bobby, like they went to higher heights. They had, um... If it isn't if a it record isn't. deal, they had exactly that's what Jimmy I'm saying. And Terry so, songs, right? so they don't have any of that. So to compare no, when Vogue reunited in this deck or in the previous decade to the Cindy Terry and Rona, Cindy Terry Rona, Cindy Terry and Rona killed um, them in that decade. I mean, they had a Lifetime movie. They closed um, two major reality shows on broadcast TV. Like the originals weren't doing that when they were together from what 2010 to 2012 or whenever. So to compare what they're able to do in that decade without a record deal without um having hit songs they did better with rona so absolutely not like no yes they did what did they do absolutely not part of the reason part of the originals do why they were together how did they move their legacy part they didn't here's the part that you're not considering at the end of the day if with rona cindy and terry can do whatever they want rona doesn't have a say she is a she, I mean, she's someone that's just there and she's going to collect the check. She does not make a decision with the original four, even though, yeah, Cindy and Terry still own the name. But at the end of the day, with the original four, Maxine and Dawn were still not going to do certain things. So they couldn't move. Cindy and Terry couldn't move collectively without without the other two. But since the other two are out of the picture, they can do whatever they want to do. You know what I'm saying? So at the that end of the day, that doesn't negate what I said. That doesn't negate what I said. That when the original four got together, I guess whatever they didn't do, it still hindered them because they didn't do much. And like I said, when they got Rona on board, then we get music, we get a Lifetime movie, we get you know like they're closing out award shows. So they moved better with her than they did with them. So our mag, and I guess we can just might as well get into the discussion. Heirs to the throne and how magazine and Don move and how, you know, how they've been able to, um, you know, move themselves forward if they were. So let's get into the discussion then. How about that? I would, so to, to go to the discussion, I would argue that Rona has been in the group long enough. I feel like her input is valued and she does have a say so approximately in creative directions. However, at the end of the day, if Cindy and Terry wanted to overrule anything she says, they are able to do that because they own the name. Um, exactly. and that, and it's that easy. means, and that means they control her membership. So if they wanted to oust her out, she don't have no legal, legal backing. So 
she would have to. Oh yes, she, she does. Would have to get she could probably tell you that. But if you're from California and you signed a contract, I forget what it's called. It's not property rights, or maybe property rights, but they can't just throw her out if there's an expectation that the employment is going to continue. So she could. She does have recourse. But that's not my like the discussion is Donna Magazine, and since you have half of the group on one side and half of the group on the other side, let's see how they're able to move the involved legacy <laughs> forward. Let's get into it. But at the end of the day, they can't move anywhere because they don't own the name. <laughs> so it's like, it's it's all a moot point. They don't have any legal Okay, so then all, going back into a circle, then all the way around, so they don't own the name, but you're still Donna Magazine. So you mean, that means absolutely nothing? Being Magazine Jones and being Don Robinson means absolutely nothing? Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> so, okay. So, today's episode is called Don and Maxine Strike Back. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Donna Maxine Strike Back, and all this, all this uh, fire, we gonna we gonna push her forward to the discussion. So first, we're gonna start with heirs to the throne. In October 2012, Maxine and Dawn appeared on Access Hollywood to announce the formation of their new girl group, Heirs to the Throne. The duo launched a Twitter and a Facebook page for the group and even commissioned our producer, Matthew, shout out to him, to create a website for them. Speaking to Coco Cure magazine, the duo said the music that we're interested in recording, um, this is a direct quote, we're calling it urban rock. It's edgier. The harmonies are two part. When you hear Maxine and I together, it's like, wow, that sounds like in vogue a slight bit. The voices are still there, but it's edgier. It's more current. I would say more cutting edge. We're taking risks with our new music as well. Heirs to the Throne performed at several venues with Shantae Usual as the group's third member. However, the group never officially started. Jones and Robinson parted ways after Robinson chose not to go through with the new group. Instead, Robinson went on to join the cast of the reality show R&B Divas LA, and Jones formed her own group called In Vogue to the Max. More on that later. So what did you think of this short-lived group? Were you excited for this new team-up? Um, were any of you familiar with Shantae before this? And do you think they had the potential to be successful? And did anybody attend the live shows? Okay, so I will say I did look up Shantae Usual. And she's a pretty girl. She's a very pretty girl. She has a nice voice. Um, and then she does have a, a song called Phoenix that has kind of like a rocker... Um, edge to it so I can understand how they would add her to that lineup if that was the direction they were going musically. Um, but I don't think her voice matches to the caliber that Invo's original vocals gave. So it made sense for, I guess, this new iteration. Um, but um, but she's a pretty girl. She can sing. She's really, really pretty. Um, she was giving us fashions in her little music video with a thousand views. No shade. Um, but she, uh, it was, it, yeah, I, I, I think she's really, I think she's really cool. Okay. Well, when it votes to the max, let's talk. I'll just go there. Um, one, it's a horrible name. Horrible name. <laughs> it's a horrible name. Um, I, I feel like 
Latavia and Latoya tried to do that with Destiny's Child. But uh, we're going to start a new girl group. I think it was called well, no, Angel or this, something. This group was and called was like, Heirs oh, to the Throne, which I think is a horrible name. But Heirs to the Throne was Dawn and Maxine. Oh, oh, that yeah, that name yeah, that name is horrible too. That name was horrible too. Because that's when Watch the Throne with Jay Z and Kanye was out, and they yeah. thought they was going to be like Jay Z and Kanye. Yeah, I just don't. <laughs> Ball so hard. Yeah, I just feel like uh, leaving a group and starting a group immediately is not a good look because everything you're doing is emotional. You're trying to, like, oh, look what we can do without you type of thing. And I feel like that's not a good foundation to stand on. Like, leave the group and really, like, figure out, okay, what do we want to do in this moment? But I feel like starting a group, like, and, and then going to access Hollywood, you know, and just and being messy and shady, I'm just like, this is not a good look for y'all. Um, and, and you calling yourselves heirs to the throne, that's not royal behavior. But that's all I'm going to say. Who wants to chime in? I'll throw in maybe a little bit of a, a legal framework or point of view. For me, heirs to the throne was a legal maneuver more than it was an artistic endeavor. I think that was Max's moment where she was, so she got to some lawyers. She saw Cindy and Terry were moving the train forward and she's and they said, well, if you want to take that name, you better get out there and tour and you go find you some replacements, too. And we'll battle it out in six months or a year and see what happens. And she she piggybacked and Dawn and said, Dawn, two of us fighting that name is better than just me. Why don't you get on board? So she brought Dawn on board. And so you had a little period there where some lawyers got to both sides, specifically Max and Dawn and said, there's going to be a fight for this name. Build up your tour. Build up your name. Build up your branding so we can we can see what happens. And then okay. Okay. they fought that fight and lost, clearly, and they should have lost, and then it was over. That I, That's how I looked. I thought it was a mess creatively to begin with. I was not a fan of any of Max's efforts or Don's efforts at that time to try to compete with In Vogue. I thought it was all for one or nothing, just like I thought that way in 1998 mm-hmm. so that was so, just my little legal theory of course Matan, i have no yeah. proof I, I can't show you any documents but that's my feeling yeah, i mean at the end of the day at the end of the day i think maxine and dawn like if if you don't own the name like i used to i used to work for a company that did concerts and marketing and promotions for concerts like if if we can't put the name in vogue on marketing materials to promote the show like it's 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 useless. Like saying heirs to the throne, no one knows what that is. <laughs> so, and even and even though you know people in Vogue fans may know who Maxine is, and of course they know who Don is, but the general public is not going to be like, oh, Maxine Jones, let me go and you know rush to buy a ticket. Um, you need the the name recognition. So, to me, it, it just kind of um, it was kind of pointless to kind of do it. Um, unless they could have maybe managed to to to, own, to license or own the name like maybe EV3 or EV4 or something that they could do that sounded more familiar with in vogue with the brand um or they could do like the the old members from the Supremes and did like the the former ladies of <laughs> former ladies of in vogue you know what I mean and they did their own little you know nostalgia you know chitlins that could act or whatever but I don't know. To me, if you don't own the name, like you're really stuck. Like there's not a whole lot that you can do in terms of making a lot of money. Sure, you can do little gigs here, paying you know a few thousand dollars, but 
you're not going to make any, you know, you're not going to make the significant money without the name. Did anybody see any of the little gigs on the channel? I saw what was on YouTube. What I did you it was think? Fun. I mean, I mean, there was perform. When I saw, they were outside performing at some uh, chillin festival. Or <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know. <laughs> I saw they were outside, and it was just, it was just, you know, two members from Invoke. I, I don't know who Shanta usually is. I haven't. I didn't see. I didn't see them as a trio. I saw Don and Maxine going you know doing their thing but i think actually i think what i saw was don and maxine you know the last time they tried to come together because they came together for heirs of the throne heirs to the throne and then they had beef and then a few years later they came back together so that's what i remember seeing yeah a friend a friend of mine she when they came back together a friend of mine same background for them um in oakland at a club called yoshi it's very popular um, in the Bay Area. Um, but that was just a short lived thing. It's just, I, is, when you were expecting in Vogue, you only get two. It's just not, it's not exciting. You know, I will, I will say that Don and, and Maxine do have leads on some of their most popular songs, but still, it's you just, need the name. Like, yeah. The same. You, yeah, you need the name. You need, you, it, it matters. I don't. I, I know that you're a part of the name, right. but if you don't have the name, it it doesn't. It doesn't. And Champ, I think you and I were. We briefly talked about this on Twitter. We were talking about the Pussycat Dolls, and like Nicole sings all yes. the leads, right? But she was never able to make it as a solo artist. People like the the aesthetic of a group. You like to see the women in yeah. formation, doing the choreography, giving you the looks and all. Yes. Like that's the thing. Like you want to see. You want to see the ladies get in formation, you know? So you can't get into formation with a duo. <laughs> yeah, when I watched Heirs to the Throne, I watched um, a few of their uh, performances, like, in a couple clubs. And I'm just kind of like, all you do is seeing them, like, rocking back and forth, snapping their fingers, <laughs> very, much car- very much karaoke. And I'm kind of like, this is not an in vogue right. show. Like this, this is, this is like a, a open mic or something like, and I'm like, we, we're used to seeing Invo and, and granted. And then on top of that, Invo, both iterations went through this period where they were wearing like jeans and tops on the stage. Very and I'm forever like, you don't 21. Have a name called it. You don't, you don't go, very, very much H&M. that. I'm like, you don't go from being this like iconic fashion idols to you're performing venues in denim jeans and these glittery. I'm like, it, it was just very cheap and, and low budget. And so I'm kind of, this is, it's just not a good look for the brand at all. So. Hang it up flat. Well, at that point, at that point, all of the versions of In Vogue, even Terry, Cindy, Rona, were not heavy record company backed. They're out yeah. there touring on their own investments and their own gigs directly with promoters. So they're not getting a budget to get glammed up. They're not getting a and Dawn and Max have never had that since they've left. But DT, so not jeans. Not jeans. <laughs> not, I just can't because you could go to you can go to Forever Two One and find you a cute little uh a faux leather booty short that'll look a little bit more. <laughs> I was like, is it is it? Are, it they were they were some old navy slim straights. I'm like, what is that? But let me stop. I love y'all. <laughs> It just well, it didn't work, obviously, and so um, then it became invoked to the Maxidon. 
uh, went her own way. She wanted everybody to know that she was still a solo artist. And I don't know if that was the iteration where she thought Magazine had colluded with the promoter to steal, you know, um, her, uh, you know, fee and the fee of the band. But for whatever reasons, they parted ways. And then Magazine started Invoke to the Max in early 2013. She began touring with Allison Carney and Maria Freeman. And well, she called uh, this lineup of Invoke, Invoke to the Max. And in March of 2013, the group performed at a Detroit Pistons halftime show. Okay, and then it looked like it was soon announced that Ellison Heron sued Jones for use of the Invoke name. A judge ruled that Heron and Ellis, as holders of the group's LLC, had exclusive rights to the group's name. And in the meantime, she um, got in touch with Dawn. Mm-hmm. or vice versa, but we believe she got in touch with Dawn, and then they started promoting, you know, putting out there in the public that they were uniting to do another In Vogue. They, they um, had a group called In Vogue, Heirs to the Throne, and they started booking shows. Well, that's when the, the trademark name became an issue because it's okay. just not good business for the brand. Uh, to have two touring in vogues in the market, and right. ultimately it was affecting us getting work because the promoters were like, "How do I know who I'm getting?" And I don't, I don't, I don't right. want to hire any of y'all. And you know, it was right. kind of like that. So then that became an issue. The name, oh. you know, the trademark name became an issue, and that's how it became an issue in arbitration. And ultimately, the arbitrator decided, and the federal court confirmed it that we would, you guys, be the sole retain. owners of that, we would retain the name. Karen and Ellis also filed suit against Jones, demanding $1 million for unauthorized use of the name, though the damages request was ultimately determined to be without merit, as Ellen and Harris could not demonstrate harm done to the company from Jones's use of the name. The group fell through, and Maxine created another group that went by the name in vogue and consisted of members Maxine, of course, Hedda, and Jennifer. Nothing came of that group either. In 2014, Jones began recording her first solo album with producer DJ King Assassin <laughs> entitled To The Max. Jones released the lead single Didn't I on May 15th, 2014. Any thoughts on this? What did you think of this configuration? I'll, uh, let me try to not get it convoluted. Okay, so can I just touch upon the, the, the legal fight there where they're yes, duking it out over the name? Yes. Okay, yes. so I watched that clip. Okay, I watched that clip of Cindy and Terry giving the interview to Access Hollywood on what the hell had just happened and why they had to fight. And what Cindy said was it was a dispute over management. There was interestingly a lot of things not said, but do you all understand how big a dispute over management is to a girl group or any group? If you have a manager doing things unfairly to two versus two or whatever, that's horrific. That's absolutely grounds to like stop working. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. like, we don't know the details. We never will. But A lot of things were not said in that interview, but it was sort of fashioned. And I think a lot of the Invoke fans kind of take it and run with it that, you know, well, what what the hell is wrong with you, Max and Dawn? Just get on the Invoke, get back on the Invoke train. Let's make this money. But by then, if you've got Invoke with the same manager that they've had, they've now got huge loyalties to Terry and Cindy. 
who are quote on calling the shots. No, we're going to pick this gig, not that gig. No, we're, I don't care if you got family obligations. You better be here by this date, not that day. We don't know what the details were that led Max to say, I cannot work with that manager. That is a huge reason to leave a group and, and live at your mom's house if you have to, for me. So the idea that that was somehow some bad thing, you know, of course, Maxine lost because ultimately the in, Terry and Cindy had stayed on the invoke train from the beginning. So any court of law is going to grant them the name. Terry and if Dawn and Max were going to fight for the name. The time to do it was 1997 and 2001. Right. Dipping out for 10 years and coming back 10, five, seven years later and saying we own the name is never going to be successful. So that was never going to be a, a winning fight for for Maxine or or for Dawn. But I'm just making a point that it's a very legitimate thing for Maxine to say, I cannot be a part of a group where a manager is not does not have my best interest. So I'm going to fight as much as I can and try to start restart this thing or my thing somewhere else. I just wanted to throw that in. I respect that. Yeah, and it cost her. Yeah, she didn't I, get rich, but I mean, it's yeah, a I, reasonable to, thing to yeah, do. Yeah, to me, I just, I wish that, I feel like this is a recurring theme, but I, I just wish that all the ladies would just see the bigger picture and learn how to compromise. And, you know, because at the end of the day, people want to see the originals. Like, I mean, it's no shade. That's what people want to see. But what did they accomplish while they were together? See, that's my whole thing. It's like when you got together from 2009 to 2012 or however long it was, like what exactly was happening. So I get DT's point about the management, but at the same time, like, for instance, Cindy with Juice, like, you know, that wasn't in Vogue, the manager who got her that role. That was probably she had her own agent. So my whole thing is you always want to have value. And I think nowadays, you know, as we have access to the internet and things like that. It's all about having side hustles and multiple streams of income. So Maxine was the one who never, she, to my knowledge, she never did any solo music as the actual lead artist. She never starred in anything, never was on any plays during her tenure with them Vogue. Um, like she never tried to be a songwriter that I know of. Maybe she was a black, I don't know. I, I just don't know. So it's like, how do you establish and give yourself value as an individual? Um, that's to me will be the first thing that will happen in any situation where I'm in a group. I'm like, okay, well, I just need to make sure that, you know, cause our, our lives are kind of intertwined. Our income is kind of intertwined. I need to have my thing on the side, preferably in the music industry, maybe something outside of it, but in the music industry as well. So maybe I need to be a songwriter. Maybe I need to do songwriting camps and try to get a publishing deal. And none of that happened. So then it just comes down to in vogue and it's going to be majority rules. That's how TMZ reported. They said that Cindy and Terry basically got the arbiter, arbiter, arbiter's decision because they were the majority. But then I read somewhere else that magazine kind of lost because she violated the terms of their um, operating agreement by not showing up to shows um, that had already booked. So she violated the terms of the operate, operating agreement. So then that's how she kind of um, lost her claim to the name. I don't know. And then I also heard that like she wanted her boyfriend to be her manager um, I don't know if that's true. That was just like gossip I saw on the Invo Craze uh, Facebook group. I don't know, but like DJ King Assassin, that name is very interesting to me. Producer DJ King Assassin. So I don't know what's going... Yeah, I, I don't know. But to me, it's just like... And this is like where I go back to from the beginning of our conversation where it's like, well, this person doesn't have equity. This person, that person, this person. But it's like none of you really try to do anything to kind of make yourself indispensable like it's 
Um, and so even in groups where everybody is an original, like if you're in the Rolling Stones and you're not Keith Richards or Mick Jagger, you could have been there longer than they have, but you didn't make yourself indispensable. There's this, epi- and I have to do my um, Gym of the Holograms reference just because I love that show, but there's this episode titled The Bands Break Up where you have the Misfits and the Holograms. Both of their songwriters leave, Kimber and Stormer. And even though Jim is the lead singer and Pizzazz is the lead singer, like they didn't know what to do without their writers. Like, I just like they like to me, in, if you're in the entertainment industry, you have to be a creative. And it just seems like, you know, I just feel like they, Don and Max didn't put in the work um, while they were in the group to, to pull kind of a stunt like that. And so just to anyone listening out there, like make yourself invaluable, make yourself indispensable, have multiple streams of income and because that just it like if you if you are half of a group like I just don't see how you could like your name as an individual means nothing after like so many years in the business you have to look at it through the eyes of the 90s in the 2000s uh, well this is what 2020 2022 (laughs) 2022 I think a lot of artists and groups have been able to see the mistakes of people like in Vogue and TLC and Boys to Men and they're able to correct that and and make multiple streams of income and do all of these things, all of these things individually. At that time in Vogue, like when you were a group, you were a group. You did not operate individually unless you were done with the group. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, to, to say like what would Don or Maxine do? Why their names don't mean much outside of the group? Nobody's checking for Cindy and Terry outside of the group either. Like, they're all four of them are in the same boat. Without the name in vogue, none of them are really going to work. Yeah, Cindy has some acts. But they have the name, though. Cindy and Terry have the name, though. Right, that's what I'm saying. So they're able to work with the name. So (laughs) the fact that Maxine and Don are able to work as much, yeah, because they don't have the name. If they had equal ownership of the name, the same as Cindy and Terry... That would be, you know, a fair comparison, but they don't have the name. So it's kind of like, of course, they're not going to work as much. Of course, they're not going to have as much to offer because they don't own the name. But at the end of the day, if I'm if I'm a concert promoter and I'm looking if I'm doing a 90s concert and I'm looking to book in Vogue, I don't give a damn if it's Cindy Dawn or if it's Rona and Jane Doe down the street. I need the name in Vogue so I can put on that flyer to market my concert like that's it's the name that matters no one is going for the sake of any individual member none of them are above the name so it's you know what i'm saying like if cindy and terry let's if it were reversed and dawn and maxine owned the name and cindy and terry didn't cindy and terry wouldn't be working any more than dawn and maxine because they don't own the name <laughs> like not not one of those members are above the name in vogue and that's just kind of where it is. I mean, uh, sit- well, that's the philosophy I wish they had after Funky Divas. I mean, that's opening a can of worms, but that's the moment to me. And that's where people I don't want to go out of the outline, but let me just say the second and bigger point that I think a lot of people had frustration with my my letter, which was I was, quote unquote, kind of hard on Terry. But I, I just still believe that. In 1995, when In Vogue is at its height, mm-hmm. and the three of the four of y'all are sitting now watching popcorn, watching you know the, how cute y'all look in these videos, and celebrating the fact that y'all won, you know, y'all sold 15 million albums, and y'all are sitting there like we broke, we some broke bitches. 
Like, we got to do something. <laughs> and y'all sitting there over popcorn and saying, we will not go into that damn studio until Tommy and Denny fix this. I don't know what they got to fix. I don't know what it's going to be. I, I don't know how to read a record contract, but we cannot go on. And y'all walk out of that room and say, okay, no more studio time. And then one of you go off and have a baby. One of you take a hiatus. One of you find a, a boyfriend. One of you go travel. And then suddenly y'all wake up a month later and one of those girls is like, yeah, nah, I think I just don't agree with y'all. I'm in the studio about to do my solo gig. But hey, good luck. I just will never, that to me will never, that's, it practically broke my heart, if you want to know the truth, because Terry was my favorite, if you want to know the truth. Dawn, Dawn broke out and became, I sort of became a Dawn fan. Terry was where I started. Terry was, was it for me. But when I learned the, the politics and all of this is speculation of Lee turning your back on a group when it's, when it was at the height of its negotiating power. And I do use the word turning your back because she could have said, let's at least give it a shot. I'm not going to go in the studio and let's try to get eight pennies a record. Let's try to get 16 pennies, something, but to just fall flat and not do anything. I believe in my heart, the group never recovered from that. That's just my belief. And they went in their separate ways. And yes, Terry and Cindy can still tour now and make some money. And Dawn's living with her mom, however you want to frame what it looks like today. That is the moment to me that changed the destiny of Invoke. I'm thinking of the part where during the lawsuit between Cindy and Terry and Maxine and Dawn, like how they tried to sue Maxine for one million dollars, you know, for unauthorized use of the name. And obviously it says that the request was denied and didn't have any merit. But I just feel like that, in in my personal opinion, I'm like, the damage is already done and you're trying to get me to pay you a million dollars? You know, I just I just feel like that that is a level of petty that I that's would never the illegal thing and that the lawyer who, probably what, did. Yeah, and, and whoever and whatever lawyer and whatever lawyer, but at the end of the day, you pay that lawyer to do what, and and they come to get right. From but you. they're going so to they tell say, you, oh yeah, no, let's put the pressure on this they one. Say, they say, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, I know. Hold on, but hold on. What I'm saying is. And they they hire a lawyer, and the lawyer obviously gives you all these legal options of what you, of what is possible. So for you to say let's do this, and they file a motion of one million dollars. If I'm Maxine, I'm you like, know I'm broke. Hey, girl. That's the like, point. That's how you feel. You know, you know what I mean. But but what but what I'm saying, but what I'm saying, I just feel like that's you already got. No, the name. they didn't already the have the name. You didn't read. No, they didn't you, already have the name. Did. They were in arbitration. It, it's not on the wound, and and so I and so for me, I feel like it makes it it makes me look at Terry in the in with, my, with a side eye. So I'm like, okay, you do this little lawsuit, you know, and then I look back and I'm like, well, you so you decided to go behind our back and you know uh, do a do m- turn our third album into your solo album that did not do well, that was was not critically acclaimed. You know what I mean? Who, uh, you know, uh, Matan talks about how he went to, to, to the city signing and, and the nobody did. Her, her, <laughs> her perfume know? signing, yes. Her perfume signing, but that goes, that's still a part of her brand of being a solo artist. No one can't buy your perfume. So, I, so I just feel like we will never know. Everything is speculation. Everything is assumption. We will never know what really went down, um, behind the scenes. 
But we said it, we all said it before. I feel like the reason why they're not, they haven't done any reality TV, um, the way they want to is because there's going to be a time where they're going to have to spill the beans and the beans being spilled is not going to put them in a good light because it's going to reveal some petty stuff that happened 10, 20, 15 years ago, you know? So I just, I feel like every, no one is, no one is above reproach and I feel like no one is like innocent in my opinion, but it does make, it does make me look at Terry like, dang, like, you know, you really did, you know, do kind of that. And it's like, and then Dawn also has a talking point where she says, you know, uh, Sylvia Rohn's method was divide and conquer. You know, I'm going to divide the ladies up and I'm going to talk to you. So I, I could, I could see it. I could speculate, uh, Sylvia, you know, having a meeting with, with Terry by herself saying, well, girl, you know, Cindy pregnant and you know Don is over here so I was like well what are you going to do you know I mean I you know we can give you a, a, a solo deal I can give you an advance so you can like not lose your car or you can pay your water bill girl you know I could see that happening and then and then Terry being young and impressionable she's like okay well let's do it you know and I feel like I feel that the the lack of success in her solo album is the karma for that decision but this is just speculation this oh is just you, me. Well, let me say this real quick. <laughs> this is just that. I don't know for well, sure. Let me say this real quick. I was, uh, is everyone, you guys are familiar with the City Girls, right? Unfortunately. Yeah, okay. Yes. So, uh, okay. <laughs> but no, this is a great example because it's 2022. This is a group, a female group that's currently out there. And one of the members from the City Girls has her own uh, podcast called Carisha Please. Um, on the Revolt Network. And one of the things I thought was very interesting was that um, they were, they are, they are a two person group and they were talking about how as a group, they've had people inside their own camps, inside their own record labels, inside their own management team that are trying, that have tried to divide them, that have tried to be like, well, she doing this. So you need to go do that. And da da da. we need to go ahead and, you know, y'all going to work on this album, but now we need to push y'all to do solo albums. And they were talking about how people within their own team have been trying to divide them. And because of their relationship, they're like, hell no, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing anything music related without the other, because we have that bond. We have that situation. And I I can't do this without her. And I think that is just really important. And I wish more groups had that type of mentality because unfortunately what does happen is there is a divide and conquer mentality. People within your same label, within your same management company are, are going to try to break you up to get whatever piece of the pie that they feel like they can get out of the situation. And unfortunately, I think in Vogue is just one of those groups that fell for it early on. And I'm glad that, you know, groups have learned from these mistakes because nothing is bigger than that brand. Nothing is bigger than than that name that you're starting with. And you're going to have people like Sylvia Rohn. You're going to have people who are trying to, okay, you do a solo album. Like that was, that was, a that was, if you read the, what is it? The eight, eight laws of power, nine laws of power, like dividing division is, is your best way to get your hold on, on a situation. 
And that's what Sylvia Rome did. So when when Terry took that record deal, she's like, you know, I know we all broke, but I got this option, so I'm gonna go take it. Like the group never recovered from that. Like there, there is. They did. They had their biggest hit after that. Then you had the person who has all the issues who had an issue with Maxine. Yeah, they, they, they got a big hit. But what happened seconds. after their biggest hit? They had the biggest hit of their career. Dom and what left. happened? That's what happened. She's the one. So I don't see how people try to turn it around and be like, of this course is she left because Sylvia Rome offered chess. her a record deal and then tried to take it back. Like, of course she left. No, she didn't try to take it back. She didn't try to take it back. It was delayed. We don't know why it was delayed. Just like, what did they say? Your blessing is not. Sylvia uh, used that record. Sylvia used that record deal to try and control her. She used that record deal to try and control her to get her to do what she wanted. That is the that is they have their that is literally they divide have their and conquer. Hit, but the damage they have their biggest hit, but it was the damage was already, already done. done. No, it wasn't already done. It was done. already it was done. Not already done. You had this one it tempestuous was. person who everything after that was just absolutely a downward spiral. Everything that she did is that one individual because not. the other three, absolutely Cindy, not. Cindy Magazine, why did they want to stick around then if everything was so irreparable? Because some damaged? people are weak-minded. Cindy had a man who Cindy had a man who already had an income. So so Cindy's Cindy's life wasn't going to so change. So she's weak-minded because she was smart enough to marry a man with an income and die married. I mean, she was weak-minded, was... but everybody... Okay, well, that's what you that's what you try to imply, though. You try to imply that they're weak-minded. Everybody operates from the point that's going to work best for them. So at the end of and the that's day... that's weak-minded? No, it's not weak-minded, but if, if you're in... If you are working from a standpoint of, I'm looking out for myself, I got a man. He is a baseball player. He got a contract. He got millions coming in. So my main concern is not this group. My main concern is not how many records we're going to, you know, how much money we're making per record. My, my, my life is good. I'm comfortable. Okay, then Magazine. What about Magazine? Is she weak-minded? She might have been. Happy to be in a group. That's the thing. Like, how many, how many stories have you heard of people who are like, yeah, I know... I signed a record deal and I had a hit record, but I was still living in the projects. But yet I'm still on tour. I'm still, I got records on the radio, but I'm still poor. Like that is literally people look at fame and they just roll with it. So, I mean, is it? But she wasn't that because we saw when, the, when those bankruptcy filings came out and she had to list her assets. She had like two properties. One was the income property. So like she might not have been mega rich, but like that's what I'm saying. You did two albums. Like just, it's like some groups have to do multiple albums. So they start making money and touring. Even the big ones, that's just the nature of the industry so you're not a star you're not a legend with just two albums they decided to take a break after their biggest album instead of moving forward maybe for personal reasons or whatever but to try to turn that around and be like because Terry did this Don went on this downward spiral then everything she complained about their contract but then signed it signed this to, according to her the same type of contract with Lucy Pearl I'm not critical of anything after like Don's made mistakes Don's been reckless with her words Don's made record industry mistakes created enemy we can talk all day about dawn starting from january 1st 1997 i want someone who's anti-dawn to give me some commentary on terry in 94 95 everyone just jumps said well that didn't matter so back to 97 right. dawn became can i right. actually get a response to you from you matan as to what your honest opinion was uh, if you were in Terry's shoes, sitting on that couch eating popcorn with your with your friends, like I sort of set the scene hypothetically, are you at all critical, or do you have any comment on Terry's decision to not negotiate, to agree to renegotiate two pennies a record with her girls, and say, "Sorry, I don't agree. You all negotiate as three. I'm gonna go on in here with with Denny and do this album." 
Do you have any commentary on that? That's and record this album. Stop trying to make it all juicy, JP. You add an extras to it. <laughs> what? Wait, let me respond. Let me respond. I, I, even though I feel like we're going to go over this and submit a letter, so I just have to hold my tongue then. But I, I will say this. Um, one, I don't believe the two pennies thing, but I'll just say that that's true. Like I said in the previous episode, they did renegotiate their contract. They were signed to a production deal with Too Tough Enough. That contract was null and void because someone quit. That's the way Don explained it. So they were able to negotiate directly with the label. So they were renegotiating their contract. Don has even said that when she got her solo um, rights taken out of the contract, um, you know, that was it. It was nothing else. So they were renegotiating the contract. She was renegotiating with them as a group, but she exercised her solo rights just like Don tried to um, uh, exercise her solo rights um, a few months or a few weeks. I don't even know how long, you know, what what, what the process was for her record because I know she went in the studio and did songs and that writer that she did songs with, I haven't heard the song that she did songs with that writer, but I've heard a sampler from that artist, Monet, and it was tired and through. So when Sylvia heard that, she was probably like, oh no, Terry's already didn't do well. Don is bringing me a bunch of, you know, boring stuff. See, for me, you're I'm moving back into the Dawn story. Right, well, I'm just saying, no, come on, DT. Get them together. Okay. See, Matan is not used to, Matan is not used to, Matan is not used to um, having more than one person support uh, Dawn and holding Terry accountable. So now Matan is shivering. Come on, DT. Y'all are trying to make it seem like it was a huge point of contention for her to do this solo record, but the only person saying that is Don. So has the magazine or Cindy spoken about it being this huge point of contention of her doing a solo record? When I got one person putting it on the table and nobody taking it off the table, I got to go with the person that put it on the table. I like to hear Terry, Maxine, and Cindy give me something to shut me up. Period. Oh, okay, so then, so that means you believe that um, Maxine colluded with the promoter to steal um, oh, Don's portion of the funds because oranges. Maxine didn't put it on the tape because Maxine never posed rebuttal. That means that it's later. true. Nope. By that logic, you have to because you said she didn't put anything on the table, so you're going to believe the person who did put it on the table. So you believe that then? Without yes. a rebuttal, sure. But uh, okay. that that rule applies. Yeah, and that's my general rule of life. If if someone has a, an allegation or a comment or opinion, and it and it's it attacks someone else's character or choice, and that person doesn't step up for themselves and say that is wrong, until I hear otherwise, and they bring it with some decent facts, I, I don't have a reason to dispute them. So yeah, I, I'm not I'm not saying that Dawn did maybe exaggerate or maybe there's some details she left out or Maxine may have a great excuse but I haven't heard it so back to 95 you were saying so yeah back to 95 I'm saying the only person I that, I mean that's your philosophy and that seems to kind of be isn't it like the judicial system is um, the person making accusation has the burden of proof and is innocent until proven guilty I've never seen her show a contract I don't believe in the two pennies because she's there was one interview where she mentioned points and that's the only time she mentioned points um, she said that Invoke had the same amount of points as Denny and Tommy and that the reason that Denny and Tommy didn't really care about like the, the way the contracts were was because they were only spilling it two ways I don't believe 
believe executive producers and producers were only getting four pennies a record. I believe they were getting points and the points is probably multiplied by a certain amount of something else, just like how TLC did it. So I already don't believe that. But then too, like I said, I don't think it was a huge point of contention. I think that um, Magazine would not have been a, ba- a background vocalist on that record if it was such a huge point of contention. I believe that is what somebody is trying to say to cover face for her bad decisions that just spiraled out of control. That's what I think. I do not think it's a huge deal to have a member doing a solo record. It's, it's never that deep. I mean, so many groups have done it. I don't think it's a big deal. If you're a drummer, there's drummers um, like Slash when he was doing all that stuff with all these other artists. Like That's what you can do when your group is not is off and not touring. You make money doing what you did in the group. If you're a guitar you're going to play guitar for some other people you might join a super group you might do this that and third you might do a solo record it's not a big deal it's only a big deal to like someone who's just super sensitive and emotional and wants to use that as a scapegoat for bad decisions that that person made that's how i feel about 1995 but hold on i gotta i gotta say this i gotta say this maxine's doing backgrounds for terry's solo album that's like at the end of the, of the day they're the same producers that produce the majority of their work. So doing background vocals, like, that is not a commitment. Like, that is not a situation where it's like, oh, Terry, I support you, so I'm going to do background. They could have told Maxine anything. They could have said, girl, we need you to lay these bottom notes down so that, you know, this is a record we're, we're thinking about doing a demo, you know, for potential for the next EV record. So, you know, lay these bottom vocals down. Like, it, But y'all are acting like it's a big act of war to even go in the studio, so you can't have it both ways. But no, I mean... For, for, Doing the doing the demo and doing some backgrounds is not is not that deep. Let me just say this: at the end of the day, if we are in a group, we like let's say it's four of us. It's it's me, Matan, um, Cham, and Josh. We we are four people in a group. And if I say, you know, um, this has been fun, y'all, but I got an opportunity to go and do this other podcast about In Vogue that's picked up by Spotify. And I'm going to go do my thing and I'm going to leave y'all. You can't tell me you're not going to feel a way that I feel a way. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Even, because, and even though because, it, the, because the added, the added layer, the added layer, you said Spotify is that uh, we don't use Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> so, I would, so I would be like, oh, so you going to the conference. Right, but even I'm just saying like, whatever I'm going, I'm, I'm moving on. I'm going to go and, and, and pack my bags. I'm going over here. You can't tell me you wouldn't feel away. It doesn't mean that we're not going to be cool. It doesn't mean we're not going to be cordial, but I'm going over here to do something else. It doesn't mean you're going to start a riot. It doesn't mean that we're going to throw hands, but you still feel a way. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's there's no way that you can reasonably tell me that Terry taking that solo deal did not make the other three, two or three ladies feel some type of way. And my point is, like, when once you feel a way, once the trust has been broken, once there's been a fracture, you can try to move on, but it's not going to be the same. Like, I can break my leg today and I can fracture my bone. And I can put it in a cast or whatever. It's not going to be the same. It's just not going to be the same situation. Like, you're always going to have that fracture there. There's always going to be that, you know what I'm saying, that that crack. And to me, I think Terry taking that solo deal without the rest of them knowing, couple that with it with the fact that they had negotiating power when they had the the ability. They Funky Divas was one of the biggest records of, of that era, they had the ability and the negotiating power to go somewhere else and 
and really make more money, like, you can't tell me that the other ladies are not going to feel a way. Like, that's just human nature. And and Has anyone seen any of these contracts? Of course or not. Come just, on, oh, this is all conjecture. Like, okay. come on, let's, let's be real. None of us have seen contracts. This is all just conversation and conjecture and speculation at this point. But, okay. But what I'm saying is... What I'm saying is, like, it's 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 not unreasonable for the other people to feel a way, like, you know, like, we, we are okay with you. We still love you. You did what you felt like you needed to do, but we we still love you. But, yeah, there's something in the back of my mind that is going to feel a way. This next letter comes from Justice Jackson. And Justice Jackson says, <laughs> everybody a part of us just is here. First off, I want to say I'm loving the topics this season and the new segments. We're getting deep and juicy and I love it. But, and I hate <laughs> to cut the formality short and um, I have to get right to it because baby, this episode had me on fire. My letter is not going to take up a whole episode, I promise. This is more of a... <laughs> that was shade to DT. But this is more of a response to Mr. DT than you guys. But I got a lot to say. But I got to say <laughs> that I don't appreciate the fact of how you call yourself an Invoke fan and yet uh, don't respect all the members. I know everyone has their fave and all, but the slander to Rona was... I feel very out of pocket. Everyone touched on this Ooh. perfectly, but I just want to reiterate the fact that Rona is here and has been here and is staying, well, until she disagrees. But anyway, um, she's staying here and her contributions to the group should be respected and not minimized because Cindy and Terry could honestly have sat down somewhere years ago and been retired. She's keeping the brand alive and should be respected along with the other members of this group. So, DT, so since this one was directed at you and your letter, what do you have to say? Appreciate everything the person wrote. They have some excellent points. I will concede, like I did at the beginning of the show, my passion for In Vogue was the original four. My belief is that everything past the original four has been an attempt at recapturing something that can never be captured. I believe that Rona is, as an individual, as talented as they come. She she put out a solo record. I will be in line buying it. Now, in terms of respecting her as a part of In Vogue, I respect her as keeping the brand going, like you said. I respect her as being talented. But I, she does not at all come close to bringing me the passion and the fandom that I had for the original four. So I hope that's not disrespectful to her or her fans. But to me, to me, I don't know, you know, the, the point I'll just, the closing point I'll make is this. If she's so valuable to all of the current Invoke fans, why don't y'all write a letter to Cindy and Terry and tell them to break her off some in equity? If, if you all have the passion that shut up people who disrun, then direct that passion to somebody that's going to put some change in her pocket and give Ooh. her some lifetime security, which is Terry and Cindy. Or otherwise, she's she's just that great loyal employee that's going to work her butt off. And one day, i.e. Spinderella or all these Come other on, people DT. stay in that arrangement and wake up one day and say, why? That's that's what she is. That's the same thing the drummer feels when they go on the road with Invoke. That's the same way the 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 roadie feels. They this is a check and a job for an assignment. This is not what I own. That's a big huge difference. Now, when she becomes an owner of Invoke, 
bring me back on the show so I can say you were wrong. They loved her. She really did have equity. Like, I'm happy to do that. But right now, I just think that's what Rona is an excellent fill in. She's 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 a supreme fill. She's Cindy Bird's Cindy Bird. She's Michelle Williams. When you look, in the, Way, you look in the when you look right, when you look in the dictionary in a hundred years and they talk about great girl groups and they have this glamorous picture of this group known as in Vogue, it's gonna be Terry, Dawn, Cindy, and Maxine. It ain't gonna be wrong. Period. Period. That, that's this is all I can say. I don't I don't say that to disrespect I... her. I say that to show my appreciation for what was to me the greatest group that ever existed from the start. Matan, you want to continue the letter? The letter? Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to. <laughs> Justice continues, which brings me to my next point. I think it's really unfair how you loaded up the chopper and just let it rain on Terry as if she single handedly stopped the group in their tracks like she was Nicole from the Pussycat Dolls or something. It's unfair to throw the blame solely on her, especially considering the fact that Don claims that she, Don, didn't want to go solo. Don used Terry's solo project as a point of contention, yes she did, to do her own solo project. Mr. DT, you need to put some respect on Terry and Rona's name, sir. Ooh, DT, he's talking to you. To me, all the women bear some responsibility at some point, a, a, a decision they could have made, a conversation they could have had to keep things going. But to me, the domino effect started with Terry's, not her decision to decide to go solo. I never said I had a problem with that. I had a problem with her decision to not renegotiate at the snapshot moment when it, it mattered the most. That's what I have a problem with. But what do you mean? Can I ask you what you mean by not renegotiating? Because they were in renegotiation. So what do you mean by not renegotiating? You say the girls did go on to renegotiate. And that's why we had an EV fee for those. The girls went on and recorded EV3 without negotiations being finalized. So they're in the studio being told, we'll work it out. Yeah, y'all mad about two pennies, but go on and get in front of the mics. We'll send it to the lawyers later and we'll get this stuff inked before the album comes out. Then they get to this infamous meeting where Dawn is comes late, where the lawyers are there and a contract is put in front of them to renegotiate. Now, you think that contract no, was just no, no, that's no, that's no. that's my understanding. I could be wrong, but that's my to me, understanding. Too, the, the, the negotiations, you keep saying they were negotiated and, and but maybe not even to any anybody's satisfaction. They may have just a new deal was signed is all I know. A renegotiation that all the women were satisfied with certainly didn't happen. I don't think it happened. Maxine later said that, no, yeah, we signed that contract the day you got kicked out, Dawn, but I didn't like it then and I still don't like it. Like Maxine backed her later and said it was a bullshit renegotiation that she still wasn't happy with. Now, I don't know how much better it was in the original contract, but it it was some mess by Dawn and, and, and Maxine's comments later on. Now, I don't I don't know the specifics beyond that, but they didn't have this perfect, great worked out contract when Masterpiece Theater was released. That's always been my understanding. No. Okay. So the contract, when we talk about the infamous meeting, that was the contract to promote the record. It wasn't a record contract. It was a commitment to promote EV3 for two years. 
And Don didn't want to promote the record for two years because she had a solo project. <laughs> Isn't that funny? She had a solo project, so she didn't want to commit to promoting the EV record, EV3, for two years. And still, um, I don't know how she ended up. It was a separate meeting where she had to have signed her rights away. So I don't know what she had going on at that point. But no, they they re, they renegotiated. They were they were in renegotiation. They were renegotiations when Cindy was pregnant. When Maxine was pregnant, they renegotiated. Um, yeah, that contract was something different. That was to promote EV three, um, and maybe the impetus behind Sylvia wanting um, a two year commitment was because she knew that Don probably was ready to jump ship because she had a solo record with Aftermath and Dr. Dre. The little bit of work I did years ago, I was never, I never saw a scenario where you had just a, a separate exactly. standalone promotion contract that exactly. didn't pair up with the overall contract with your label. So to me, exactly. if you're working on a promo contract, then you still got an a, a overarching contract about rights, royalty, distribution, benefit, uh, 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 budget, all of that. It's not just going to be a side. And now I'm not saying that didn't happen. I'm just saying that that's not how I've ever seen contracts negotiated where you got a bullshit two cents a record deal that you want to get out of, but you got this parceled out promo deal about one album. We're going to wear this outfit. We're going we're gonna to get paid a dollar, uh, uh, you know, a tour or whatever, whatever those terms were. So you could be right, Matan. I'm not disputing it, but I've, I've always understood in my reviews of social media to see that, to know that that contract that they were dealing with the day, someone, quote, put something in Dawn's face and told her to sign it. She didn't sign it because it was some mess, just like the, the prior deals. And so she didn't sign it. Now, later, after she said, I'm done, some lawyers put some papers in front of her a month or six months later and said, look, if you're really done with us, take this $5,000 and be gone. That might have been what happened to her. All of this speculation but I, I, I'm looking at the facts that went down maybe a little differently than you are. And I could be wrong. I could be half right. I could be half wrong. But that's always been my understanding. What she said is that she went. Well, anyway. Um, OK, well, I guess, you know, if there's clips or anything of Don talking about. And Don said meeting, she agreed to promote the EV3 album, though. That's the other thing. Like she literally there's some, she agreed to record it. She, and she said she agreed to promote it. For how long? But I don't know if the how long, but In Vogue didn't even promote the album for two years. <laughs> right, that's the whole thing. That's why the whole thing to her not wanting to commit for two years it just it just was pointless for all that's happened because Sylvia wanted her to you know commit to the group. Like you can listen to any. But um, if Sylvia if Sylvia signed the, away her solo rights, what would be the like? Why would you sign away her solo rights? if you were not trying to let her go solo? Because there was a term in the original contract that placed a premium on solo rights, probably. So Sylvia Rome could have been like, wait a minute, I got to do this, 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 and this under the terms of this original deal for every soul. Think about all the stuff she had to do with Terry's album that was an expense. She's like, uh-uh, let somebody else handle that solo responsibility. The money is with in vogue. I believe I believe at that moment in time, she probably felt it wasn't worth the investment anymore. So you but I but I'm obligated to do it under this contract. So you know what, Don, you're right. We breached the con we, we would be breaching a contract by not letting you go solo. So here, 
We release you from your solo rights. We won't charge you for the studio time. We won't. We, the advances you took for that solo, you can keep them, girl, but be on your way. Now report at nine o'clock for this two cents a record deal so we can get this invoke train going. That's what I believe Sylvia Rome did, which was smart. Because Dawn was feeling herself. I'm about to blow up anyway, whether it's with Sylvia Rohn or Dr. Dre. <laughs> I'm about to go. I'm sure she had gotten to that point. So she was happy to go shop around to find a bigger, greater deal. She believed in herself. But that's just, again, like you said, I don't have a single document to put in front of you. I don't have any tapes of conversations back then. But that's just <laughs> my speculation. Okay, well, now that we have that clarified, let's get back into Justice's letter. He continues, I do agree with Josh on the point where with the group not working at that time, Terry felt like, well, not that she had to do the solo project, but had to do the solo project to keep income coming in. I honestly believe there was a bigger issue behind the scenes, which honestly caused the hiatus to begin with. Not sure if you guys have seen it, but when the OG4 reunited back in 08 through 09, there was a trailer being shopped around for a reality show documenting their reunion and comeback and Terry states there was supposed to be a third EV album I'm going out on a limb to assume it was supposed to be an immediate follow-up to Funky Divas and she said that didn't happen and it became her solo album then she says well I had bills to pay and Don retorts saying we all had bills to pay we should have stuck together ETC I'm paraphrasing here I believe the trailer is still on YouTube he continues to say also my aunt is a big Invogue fan I remember her saying there were rumors going around that time about Invoke being blackballed. Not sure how entirely true that is, but I am inclined to believe that it, that to an extent based on that whole debacle with Luther Vandross. I'm not sure how much power he would have had back then to get them blackballed, but it's one of those things that makes you go, hmm. Considering how things fell, and even when the ladies returned in 96 on the set of Don't Let Go, Cindy mentioned how they never planned to be away as long as they were at the time. So I do believe Terry should not have done a full solo project. The timing wasn't right and the ladies were only two albums in and off such a successful air like Funky Divas. And as mentioned, it was such a departure from the EV sound. It wasn't a good move at the time. I feel like maybe they should have just did a, a few solo spots, guest appearances on soundtracks or duets with other artists, sung a few rap hooks, etc., it would have been like the perfect balance of getting herself out there as a solo act while at the same time keeping in both visible and the brand intact. I do agree with that. It wasn't the right time for a solo project, especially when Invogue is at their height. Like, why would you deviate from this formula that is working so well and now has this crossover appeal to, to, to build another brand from the ground up? which is Terry Ellis. Um, I think it was it the right time. It wasn't the right music. Uh, <laughs> that too. I mean, because granted, her I mean, her, her solo, solo uh, endeavor, it could have been successful, but the music didn't, it wasn't, it, it wasn't palatable. No shade to Tommy and Denny, but it just wasn't, it wasn't, you, it didn't uh, resonate, you know. And uh, guest appearances for Terry, that does sound, you know, because at the time, you know, all the black movies were having all these soundtracks that were blowing up. So Terry having a song on like a movie soundtrack, a rom, a rom com, or whatever. That makes sense. You know, maybe it could have happened, but I guess we'll, we'll never know. 
So last thing, I do want to chime in on the question that JP asked about Invoke replacing Dawn straight out of the gate and if things would have turned out differently for the ladies. I want to say yes, and that should have been the plan of action as soon as Dawn left. Reason being, part of Invoke's appeal was the fact that they were a quartet, from how they looked as a four-piece down to how they sound with their harmonies. To be honest, it was by design for them to be a quartet considering they all do the lead and background vocals, unlike with some groups where you may have the lead singer um, who does the lead and background vocals themselves with the other members sprinkled in at some parts. That wasn't the case for EV. I believe they have replaced Dawn. I believe had they replaced Dawn right then, there would have been some controversy, yes, but I think the adjustment would not have been so rough for fans and the general public because they would have still been a quartet. And let's say Rona joined then, she would have had the chance to grow on people. And I agree 100%. So. Sidebar, this may sound random, but I think Tisha Campbell, didn't we talk about <laughs> Tisha Campbell one episode? Justice. Yes. Um, now I was, I was, I was rocking with you, um, for most of this letter, but no. But anyway, let me, you're saying that you think Tisha Campbell would have been the perfect replacement for Don. Watch that clip of Invoke on Happily Ever After where they play the Barbies and Tisha is the Tin Soldier. She sounds crazy similar to Don, but does she look crazy? Like, she wouldn't fit but anyway if you were to close your eyes and if yes if we were to close our eyes maybe and listen to the song you would think it's just invokes track with all og members but when we opened our eyes what would happen okay anyway enough of babbling i just wanted to chime in on the discussion great episode you guys again keep up the good work cannot wait for the next episode p.s Funky Mellow Christmas is trash and corny. I agree. Sorry, you guys, but that needs to stay in Japan where it was left at <laughs> Bye. Yes, I agree. Now, okay, you brought me back. Yes, that record was, you know, it was just horrible. Thank you, Justice. We always love you when you write in. Um, I do not agree on Tisha Campbell. Um, <laughs> and I love Tisha <laughs> Campbell, but Tisha Campbell, Tishina Arnold, no, they, they wouldn't fit. I love I love Tisha, by the way. Like, I think... I, I loved her in, in in school days. That performance is iconic. Like even when her, even when her and Tashina were were a duo group, I love their single. Well, Tisha didn't. can sing, you know. Um, I, but it, it it just wouldn't have. I th- I think that um, putting Tisha in in Vogue, I'm just exploring it. She would have had to combat being Gina. Um, and in her career, most of it has been her being like, you know, the, the height of her career is her being like this goofy girlfriend, light skin, you know, like, I, I just don't feel like it would have fit with the sultry look of in vogue. You know what I mean? Um, but I love Tisha Campbell though. It didn't um, happen, but to, to speculate, um, I don't know. I would prefer, like, like I said, totally flip it, get a man who plays an instrument in the group, totally flip it on his head, but y'all wasn't feeling that. Oh, thank you. We're going to go on to our rare track section. <laughs>
Um, How Deep Is Your Love is a cover from the 1977 Bee Gees classic. It was recorded by Cindy and Terry back in 2003 between the period of Amanda Cole um, leaving the group and Ronald joining. Uh, the track is a part of the church songs of soul and inspiration album. Cindy and Terry performed it once on an episode of Extra. Uh, did you guys have any thoughts on the song? I loved it. Um, I think I think it sounds I think it sounds good. Um, I don't think that they added anything new to the track, but they sound good. It's pretty smooth, but it's nothing like a groundbreaking. Like even when I look watch the I, when I watch the audio on YouTube, a lot of the comments were just like, "Oh my God, it's breathtaking!" It's so I'm like, it wasn't anything special. And then of course, like even hearing PJ Morton's uh, version with uh, Yeba Smith recently i i don't think that it um it's memorable in that regard in you you know the door to my very soul you're the light in my deepest darkest hour you're my savior when i fall um, but i love the fact that in continues to pay homage to all the groups you know, from back in the day, the 60s, 70s, 80s. I love that they continue to pay homage to those people. Yeah, I enjoyed the track. I loved it. I actually bought that CD when it came out, and there was a lot of artists on there. I believe Shaka Khan, Stephanie Mills, there, um, I think Denise Graves. There's just a lot of different, um, you know, legendary singers on that record. Of course, I bought it because, you know, Cindy and Terry had the How Deep Is Your Love track on it. And then I think it had these really cute pictures of like a lot of the women as little girls. And there was a picture of who, well, definitely I, I could tell who Cindy was. And there was a little young lady who I suspect to be Terry because it looked like she was in the country and she had these long pigtails. I was like, that's Terry. And I'm usually spot on. Um, so I'm pretty sure that was her. But I loved it. It was a very subtle vocal from both of them. You know, the Bee Gees, I mean, when you hear a Bee Gees record, even if it's not the Bee Gees, even if it's one of the Gibb brothers, like they, there's a particular sound that they have. So no one is ever going to be able to replicate that. So I'm happy they tried to do something different by just making it a little bit more soulful, but still subdued. And then I like the addition of the gospel choir. So I liked it. I never, I always wanted to see that performance and I was never able to. So hopefully one day it surfaces on the, you know, the craze. Just actually regarding that, um, there's an announcement. Dun, 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 dun. So we know that the content on our YouTube page for the last year or so has primarily been podcast episodes, but we want to assure our listeners that the Crazes YouTube channel will return to its former state with invoke performances, interviews, and rare footage. I'm so excited. We have the content, so to speak, hypothetically say, you know, we just need to physically get our hands on it so it can be uploaded and shared with all of you. So stay tuned. 
we're excited. Okay, and these are just some of the parting uh, rules that we want to give to you. Stream part of us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, YouTube, and most other podcasting apps. For more Invogue related content, find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Invogue Craze, Twitter at Part of Us fancast comments ideas for the show questions write them down and send them to us in an email to part of us evf at gmail.com if you like what you hear please rate and review our podcast thank you so much to the co-host um thank you so much to our guest mr dt and always josh like i just hate anytime like you know i have to do episode without you because you're like the don cornelius air bradley but shout out to you and shout out to all the listeners and i I think that's it, right? Let's wrap it up. Can I just tell you all, thank you so much for having me. This is my favorite podcast. Each of you are, I just love hearing every word, all of it. I agree to disagree on things, but I still (laughs) learn. And you all have such a wonderful podcast here. So I hope you guys keep this going forever. And then I can, one day you guys will remember me when you're like, famous (laughs) famous <laughs> oh, thank you so much those are the closing for words us, thank DT, you for sure you are you really added a dynamic to the podcast we didn't have especially with your background so thank you for being here yeah you and jp trying to gang up on me jt thought <laughs> jp thought he, <laughs> jp thought he was gonna give me this time no <laughs> thank y'all for listening we'll thank see you, you next listening. time bye bye This episode of Part of Us at Invoke Fancast was researched, written, produced, and edited by Matthew at Culture Inject Productions. The intro and outro music was produced by Wolves and Vincent Tone. We're more than just a podcast. We're a fan community. You can keep up to date on Invoke and chat with other fans by visiting Invoke Craze on Facebook. You can also follow us on YouTube and Instagram at Invoke Craze and Twitter at Part of Us Fancast. Part of Us and Invoke Fancast is not endorsed by Invoke, E1 Music, or Invoke Records and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Invoke and its names, images, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyrights of the respective copyright holders. The only person I could have seen would have been um, D. Reed from Jade. That Or Deborah Cox. No, thank you. D. Reed from Jade. <laughs> Deborah, Cox would, Deborah Cox would have been amazing. No, she's a solo artist. She's a solo artist. Her voice is not a group voice. She's a solo artist. I mean, te- I mean technically, they're all solo artists. No, but, I wouldn't say that either. But... I would say, <laughs> you know, no, Deborah Cox you is, is no. that, that would be like Whitney Houston <sighs> being in a group. No, you, no, you don't do that. I'll be here for no, it. thank you. That that would be no point. It would be Whitney <laughs> and the background singers. No, you don't do that.